AM 570 KLAC, 98.7 KYSR HD2. Los Angeles. Available anywhere using the iHeartRadio app. AM 570. An LA sports icon. Fred Rogan is here tonight. Decades on your television covering Los Angeles sports. Fred Rogan, huge in Los Angeles. The Dean. I'm the Dean. Fred Rogan. Weekdays before Petros and Money. A USC All-American. USC's Rodney Pete. An NFL quarterback. Absolutely perfectly delivered by Rodney Rodney Keith. It's available on the iHeartRadio app or on am570lasports.com. This is Rogan and Rodney. All right, let's go. Fred Rogan, Rodney Pete on AM570 LA Sports. Two hours today ain't a lot to get to. Kevin Demoff, president, CEO, and COO. Of the Rams will be joining us at 1.30. All the C's. He, you know what? He's got all the C's covered. The Red Sea. <laughs> He's got all the C's. Give me a bouncy C. He's got it. <laughs> so Kevin Demoff will be on the show at 1.30. We're excited about that. Okay. The Russell Westbrook experience. <laughs> you know what you were getting. You got exactly what you knew you were going to get. So let's be honest. Uh, now he's being a bit difficult with the media. He's taking some bad shots. He's making some odd decisions. He finds himself squarely in the bullseye. And you know something? That's who he is. When you look at it now and say, well, you know, Russ is taking bad shots. Okay, Russ is always taking bad shots. When you're saying, well, he's being a little difficult with the media. Well, Russ has always been a little difficult with the media. It's a little different if you're winning 50 games in Oklahoma City and you lead the league in triple-doubles. You feel differently when you talk to the media. But when you're here, you're 0-3 and everybody's pointing the finger at you. Yeah, you're going to be a little difficult with the media. The Lakers have exactly what they traded for. And that's the thing people have to keep in mind. I mean, he is squarely in the eye of the storm. Everything is focused on him. Everything is based on what he does. Every problem is magnified. If anything good happens, he's not going to get the credit. Quite frankly, not much good is happening when he's on the court. Rob Polinka, through reports, was going to wait 20 games to make a decision. They probably misplayed their hand here. Because as bad as this is, and as bad as they look, and as poorly as he is playing, any other team in the league is going to jack up the price now. It's going to cost you more to dump them. It's going to cost you more to get them off the roster. And that, Rodney, seems to be the focus of everything. What do you do with Russ? So we're here. Ah, man. Here's the thing. Where do you start? Right? So there's a laundry list of what you do with, with Russ, but you can't do certain things because you got him. As you always like to say, Fred, once you sign him, you got him. Right. And the Lakers got him. And it's going to be hard to get rid of them. I know what the, 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 the clock is ticking on the 20 day, 20 games. It's click, it's ticking, but yeah, that clock may keep on ticking because there might not be many takers at, at 20 games. So it's difficult. Um, and I thought Magic Johnson had some interesting things to say. I know we're going to play some of his comments, but you know, one thing about Russ, which is hard when, when somebody doesn't look in the mirror and, are real with themselves and honest with themselves. We as athletes, I don't care what sport, we decline. Our physical abilities decline over time. When that happens, it happens differently for everyone, 
but they decline. You you have to adjust your game accordingly. The ones that last really adjust their games accordingly. There's uh, you look in baseball. There's guys that start out playing the first eight years of their career at shortstop. Where do they end up? Third base. Why? Because their range is not as great as it was when they were younger. They move to third base, and then where do they go? They go to DH. Why? Because their their range of motion. Their skill set at moving around is not as great. So they're a DH, and they find a way to do that. You know, football, you see it in the guys that last, the guys that young in their career. I was one of them. Ran around. It was one read, two read, I'm gone, out of the pocket running. You know, by year seven, I was different. I was more in the pocket. I was more, I'm going to beat you with the ball. I'm going to beat you with my pre-snap and the reads and things like that. You have to adjust your game as you get older. And... Russ has failed to do that, and I don't know if it's, you know, he he's going home reliving some of the old highlights, but he's not the same guy as he was in Oklahoma City. And if you really look at it, from a shooting standpoint, he wasn't always a great shooter. That's you know, what I mean, yeah. He, he covered it up because he could get to the rim. He was so exciting. He was so explosive, and he didn't make occasional shots from time to time. Right now, he can't hit anything. And until he comes to grips with himself – it's a lost cause for the Lakers to figure out because he doesn't have the tape, the the temperament, the personality to really take that criticism, not from the coach and especially not from other players and certainly not from fans or media. Against Portland, if you really watch the game, I watched it back yesterday, and you pointed this out last year. There were times where he had the ball where guys actually turned their back to him and started running in for the rebound. He's an NBA player, and he has the ball. He's within shooting range. The defender turns his back, doesn't run out on him, doesn't put his hands up, turns his back, and runs toward the basket for the rebound. That is humiliating. Yeah, it that, is. That, that is humiliating. And know how you handle that like on, on the yard when you're growing up and you're in the neighborhood or you're in the gym? You handle that. Oh, you're not going to guard me? All right, take that. And you're going to shoot, right? That is the mentality of that's disrespectful. So I'm going to shoot. So he still has that. Right? He still has. When those guys turn their back on him and run away or step back on him, ooh, you better get up on me. You, you're going to get that. That's trash talking one-on-one in basketball. It's like you better put a hand in my face. I'm going I'm to I'm make this three-pointer. I'm going to make this 20-footer. I'm going to make this. You going to give me that? Okay, I'm going to take it. And now he still has that mentality. The only problem is he can't make them. At the end of the game, when he shot with 17 seconds left on the shot clock, yeah, which was so incredibly ill-advised, and in high school, you wouldn't do that. they take you out of the game. In high school, the five guys on at the end of the game ex- basically know the clock, and the coach is screaming at them and telling them what to do. You're leading. You're leading by one. You're leading. There's 17 seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah, 30 in the game. All you want to do is run the clock down. And get a good shot. That's it. Get a good shot. If you hit a two, you're up by, you know, you're leading. And he took that shot. And if you look back at the tape, it was like the entire Portland team ran away from him. They ran away. Did you see the Portland bench? Oh, they loved it. They couldn't. They couldn't get more excited. They jumped up and down. When and they, he, first when of all, they started, couldn't believe he took it. Wait, they jumped up and down. Yeah. When he started to shoot it, not yeah. after he missed it. Yes. Yes. When he yes. started to shoot, yes. when they, when he went out, that was disrespectful. 
they they were having the time of their life. Good, shoot. Yes. That's humiliating. That's humiliating. And then you have to ask yourself, and it won't happen again. I'll bet you any amount of money it won't happen again. Why is he in the game? Why is he even playing? Yeah. Because he didn't play down the stretch against the Clippers, right? Right. The, the, the game before, I don't think I think they had him out of the game. Why is he playing at that moment? That dots the exclamation point. They want him to have the ball. Do you think that that moment, because it was such a it was such a blatant I and mean, people are not that. <laughs> Bad, blatant bad play that's not being played over and over again here in L.A., but all around the country that people are looking at that. It's such a bad play that it gives Darvin Ham the formula or the ability to go, that's what we can't have. That's why you're not playing at the end of the game. If there's any pushback, any feedback, any like complaining that he allowed him to fail in that moment because probably he knew he would and that I've got enough evidence that I can't play you at the end of the games now. I think that's a fair point, but I also think this. It's only three games in, but I think they actually don't care what he thinks anymore. I think it's not at that point. Well, Darvin Ham said it. I mean, someone asked him after the game. Yeah. You know, he says, I, we don't have time for people to be caught in their feelings whether or not they're playing at the end of the game. So to your point, Rodney, Maybe that was the last straw. I'm giving yeah. you a chance, and now it's not working. And I forget exactly who it was that asked him, but they was like, what, how are Russell handle being benched in late-game situations? And him essentially said, I don't care. Doesn't yeah. matter to me. I don't think it matters anymore. Yeah. I think that has been removed from the equation now. I think by his own doing, and again, there's a microscope on him. You've got to remember that. People are really focused on what he does. But I think by his performance and the choices he makes, the emotion or his emotion has now been removed from the equation. We don't care. Yeah. We, we just don't care. And it was, <laughs> all right, let's just hear what Magic Johnson had to say when asked about Russ. First, take accountability. If I don't play well, say I don't play well. Right. You know, you, you, when I didn't perform well in 84 against the Celtics, right. I admitted that. I took accountability right. and said, hey, I didn't perform well. I was the reason why the Lakers lost okay. that series. And I had to say to myself, I got to get better. Right. So what did I do? I went out and that whole summer. I trained hard and got better. And then we played them again in 85. This next season. Right. Man, I was on fire. We won. No, you didn't hear that no more. Right. right? Uh, same thing with Coach Westhead. When, after he got fired, they booed me for about – a month. So I told Coach Riley, I said, oh, I'm about to turn it up. Okay. I must have went for about 10 triple doubles, right? And all of a sudden, you start stop hearing them booze. Right. Turning cheers. cheers. Okay. And then we end up winning the championship right. that same year. Right. See? And so that's what Russell got to do. Right. Quit trying to fight the media. Quit trying to fight the fans. Right. And just say, you know what? I didn't play well, mm -hmm. but I'm going to play better. Right. And go out there on the court and perform. Right. That's how you stop all the things that's going on. But you can't do it by trying to combat them. Right. And trying to be mad at the fans or at the media because the media got a job. Correct. And their job, if, if you're not playing well, they to say, that. say it. Right. And I didn't mind them taking shots at me in 84 because right. I didn't play well. 
That's from Shannon Sharp's podcast. There's only one thing Magic said there that I will disagree with. And Rodney, as a player, I'm sure you agreed with all of it because that's what you have to do. But there's only one thing he said that I'm going to have to disagree with, and it's this. He said, go out and play better. I don't think he can. I think that's the problem. You said it earlier. He's not looking in the mirror. He's not adjusting. Carmelo Anthony had a pretty good run in Portland and came here for a year once he understood what he had become and who he was. Prior to that, he was miserable, but he got it. It clicked in. I don't think Russ can play any better. I think this is exactly what you're going to get. And therein lies the problem. He doesn't look in the mirror. And when he does, and it's funny, no matter how old you are, if you look in the mirror, you see yourself exactly as you saw yourself at the best time of your life. If you're yeah. 75 years old and you look in that mirror, you're probably seeing yourself at 25. Yeah, I still got it. I still got it. I still that, got it. I'm looking right in the mirror and what do I see? <laughs> I see a guy that still got it. Because we're not honest with ourselves. Some people are and it's hard. And it really comes with aging. As you get older and you look in the mirror, yeah, you look different. You're just different. It happens. That's the way this works. When he looks in the mirror, he sees himself leading the league in triple doubles. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm Russell Westbrook. You know how Kevin Durant says, I'm Kevin effing Durant? Yeah. That's what he says, too. I'm Russell, except he can't do what Kevin Durant does. Right. Go out and give you 40 a night. Um, <laughs> but you're right. Uh, listen, I agree with you. I, I don't think he's capable. And I, I don't. And, and Magic said the right thing, that he's got to take accountability. I don't think he can do that. You know, first of all, you're right. He can't. I don't think he can play better. I don't think he can. This is it. Because in order for him to play better, he would have to stop shooting. Period. I mean, just stop shooting anything above 12 feet. He can't shoot. He's got to. He's, he's got to either got to get to the rim. He's got to he, either get to the rim or pass. Which he can't close consistently yes, any that, longer. That is the problem, Fred. Th- that is he the problem. He can't close with his on what he does best. He can't. He can't get that done. Makes everything worse. I mean, look the the four or five times he did get to the rim and missed. I mean, if he'd made all of those, we we would be talking about it, but it wouldn't be amplified like it is now. Had he closed, if he, he had closed, they would have won that game. Yes. We talked about him missing point blanks last year, and it's continued this year. Um, and that's what made him. So exciting to watch and so explosive and so so good was that he blew by you and he closed with either a big dunk or a layup or, you know, just around the rim. He was so good, but he can't do that. And then you then you compound that with he can't shoot, not just shoot a three, but he can't make, you know, 10, 12 footers. Yeah, that's a that's a real look in your look in the mirror, but when you're looking in the mirror and you're honest. You start to go, well, what can I do? I look at it like this. They need to do something. I think now it's going to get worse. I, I can't believe they'd put him in crunch time situations now. Or if it was a baseball, a high leverage situation. Because just his, his judgment is flawed. So you can't put him out there then. If he makes mistakes, I think they'll take him out of the game. 
unless he gets yeah. red blistering hot and starts scoring 35 a game, which is not going to happen. It's it's only going to disintegrate more. And if they can't move him, and we talked about it at the beginning of the season, but if they can't move him, honestly, this could be, okay, just stay home. Just stay home. Let's put it like this. Like, what why, What would, would make you think it would get to that point, that he would not they be can't move him. a good teammate? No, they can't move him. He's they not gonna, If him. he's not playing, he's not going to be a good teammate. All right, we know that. He's not going to be able to sit over there and play five minutes a game. Like no, he's not going to do that, right? And they can't move him. And, and I think this is now the key. When he's in the game, I'm not sure he's contributing to them winning. I think his contribution is the other way. I think his contribution is now contributing to the loss. And that's a problem. Everybody out there, Reeves, Ryan, whoever they put out there, whoever's on the team, they need to contribute to winning. But if there's a guy you put out there that actually, when he's out there, is hurting you more than helping, he's contributing to losing. And if that's the case, and they can't move him, and we we bantered it about early, and it's kind of unthinkable, but if it does really become intolerable, I think they could tell him just to stay home. Oh, we have two pairs of tickets to UCLA-Stanford, Kevin? Sure do. All right. Wow. Okay. 12th ranked UCLA? Is that the team you're talking about? That's the one. All right. So we've got two pair. No, we have a pair. Two pairs of tickets. Oh, we have two pairs of tickets. <laughs> hey, right. Fred. No, not two tickets, Fred. Oh, two pairs Freddy. of tickets. All right, we have two <laughs> pairs of tickets <laughs> to see UCLA play Stanford. And we're giving those away between now. How many tickets is that, Fred? How many tickets is That's that? That's four. Two pairs. That's four. Oh, they count from Sesame Street. We're so proud of you, Fred. Do that between now and 3 o'clock. When we come back, some thoughts on what might have happened to the Dodgers against the Padres. Bringing you L.A.'s best sports talk weekdays, noon to 3. Bogan and Rodney. Oh, yeah, on a beautiful Tuesday, Rodney Pete, Fred Rogan. Short show today, two hours for us. And, yes, it is a beautiful Tuesday. Fred, you were mentioning about uh, Russ not being able to change and yep. him staying home yeah. last segment. Do you really think they're going to send him home at $47 million? Just don't come to the stadium. Don't come on the trip. Don't come to the games. I'm trying to remember how much money John Wall made in Houston last year. If it wasn't 40, it was probably 38, 39. I'm yeah. not exactly sure. I believe it may have been somewhere between 40 and 44, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah, I, I think if he becomes a problem, if, you, if you're not confident enough to put him in the game, and if you have him on the bench and he's playing five minutes a game, that's not even worth having him. Yeah, and he becomes disruptive on the bench or disruptive at practice and just being a part of it becomes disruptive. Yeah, I could see that happening, that they send him home because of that. Um, yeah, I just the, the problem is you don't know how he's going to react. And I think people, even players sometimes, when they have a player like that, that it's volatile like that, that you know, it's kind of you're not sure what you're going to get and how a person's going to react. Even players on your team kind of can tend to walk on eggshells around them. Which, 
which I think they do. I think, you know, probably LeBron and AD and the other players are like, can't even talk to him. I can't even really go at him because I don't know what I'm going to get back. Yeah. And one thing you always mention, this is, this is one of your pet peeves about athletes is body language. Oh yeah. You always oh, focus yeah. on body language and you know, a guy on the sideline in the NFL, a guy sitting on the bench in the NBA, that's something you're really big on. And it's you're yeah. big on it because you played and you know what it means. Yes. His yeah, body language, his body language is not good when he's not playing. No. You can just see him. And, and the problem that he has is it because he is who he is, every time something happens, he's on the bench, they zoom right in on his face. He doesn't catch a break. Because now you're expecting something, right? If you're producing the telecast, you're expecting something. So if you're expecting something, yeah. you zoom in, and then he delivers. Yeah. And at that moment, he might be doing something entirely different, but it doesn't matter. That's the image that's captured. So unless he, unless he sits on the bench and smiles for 48 minutes, and if they're down, looks concerned, then whatever his body language is, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Okay? Yeah. Then that gets out there. Then yeah. that starts. He might not get up and join the team for timeouts or timeout huddles or anything like that. Or get up quick enough to join the team for timeout huddles. We well, got up, but look, he didn't jump right up. I mean, that's, that's what the narrative yeah. will be. Yeah, they're going to pick on every little thing. He can't win. And if he can't win, they can't win. And if they can't win, then he's a distraction. Yeah, I, I think... I think it is kind of, as I said, unthinkable, but I think it might happen. All right, Jack Harris of the Times uh, wrote a piece called Inside the Dodgers Collapse, Why Baseball's Winning His Team is Not in the World Series. And here is what he came up with, and he talked to front office people around baseball, front office people. And one one uh, response was that the Dodgers, and we mentioned it, during the playoffs, I said they were businesslike. The term was boring. It didn't look like they were enjoying themselves. It didn't look like they had a lot of energy. Now, this according to a front office person that Jack Harris talked to. An observation. They didn't look like they were having a good time. Another observation, and it's interesting, and the Dodgers are so analytically driven. Scouts noticed that the Padre pitching staff specifically their bullpen, attacked the Dodgers differently, relying more on secondary breaking pitches that exploited holes in a lineup that did most of its damage against fastballs during the regular season. That's the part I found fascinating. They had drilled it down so much, and if that is correct, they did figure something out. And the Dodgers are the leaders in Major League Baseball in information and analytics. Do you think it was really that specific, Rodney? No. I think that uh, Dodgers could hit with runners in scoring position, period. I, I, I don't. I, I really don't. I think you get to this point, and it is who makes plays. Basketball, who can make a shot in a critical moment? In football, who can make a play on third down? Because you're going to get there. You're going to get those opportunities. going to be close. So it, it comes down to me, and it always will, in big-time games and in – Playoff, do-or-die situation, it comes down to players at the end of the day where I, I lie heavily on 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 the players. So you mean to tell me that uh, the Padres yeah. 
did all this study, had all these analytics and studies. Said, this is how we're going to attack the Dodgers. We're going to attack them with secondary pitches. Yes. Because they hunt fastballs, which everybody knows. They beat up on fastballs. So in the playoffs, we're not going to give them fastballs. So game one and two, as the Dodgers do a self-scout, which every team does, they look at it and go, man, we're not getting a lot of fastballs. Maybe there's a pattern here. Or, or is it because the Dodgers analytics is not a good analytics program department that they're not going to pick up on what the Padres are doing? Is that what we're saying? Is that what, I mean, because that's basically what we're saying. The Padres figured something out, and they went to it by not pitching fastballs to the Dodgers, and their analytics department decided we're going to give them secondary pitches, and the Dodgers won't be able to figure it out because our analytics are better than theirs, and they won't be able to pick up on it until it's too late. Is that what we're saying? That's what he's saying. Yeah. Guys that hit, they hit, they did hit, they did get runners on score and scoring, but they didn't hit when the runners were on second and third or bases loaded. They did hit the ball. They didn't hit when they needed to hit. So the analytics didn't work to get a guy to second or third or get a base hit in a critical time. It only worked. This is when we're going to turn on the analytics. When they got a runner at second, third, nobody out, one out. Now we're going to go to the secondary pitches so they can't hit them. That's how it works. Oh. Another theory that has been. <laughs> Why you look at me? Why you look at me? They didn't beg me to go hard on this. No, I didn't. The other Actually, way. <laughs> I thought, well, you, you say, man, and maybe. You know, possibly. <laughs> didn't get that response now, did we? Another theory being kicked around, I disagree yeah. with this vehemently. And I actually have conversations with Brett Martsky, one of our producers at NBC, who's very knowledgeable and a very smart guy and really gets it. And I don't know if I've had conversations or little mini arguments. The difference there is, you know, once I finish what I have to say, I can say, okay, and that's the end of the conversation because that's just the way it works there. Okay, that's it. I've heard it. This is what I think. But he comes back with it every day. And it's a theory that people are, are still kicking around. The real problem here was the Dodger pitching. And the Dodgers didn't have the pitching to go deep into games. I argue with Brett. I would argue with anybody. And there have been people, and I'm sure, Rodney, they've come up to you and said the same thing. Yeah. If, the, if the Dodgers hit, what difference does it make? The pitching was fine. Well, if they only had a guy go into the seventh inning, that would mean they would not have left 34 runners on base. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. If they if this guy had just gone one more inning, that means the Dodgers would have knocked in everybody that reached the second base. No. It was yeah. not the pitching. It was not. I mean, that well, they didn't go out and get a a bona fide starter. Who, who told me today Philadelphia has two top-ranked, two top-notch starters? But it wasn't the pitching. I don't care if you have Jacob DeGrom. It wasn't yeah, the where pitching. Yeah, where are they? Where are they? Right. <laughs> where are the Mets? With the, the greatest staff ever in heading into the playoffs. Oh, my God. Nobody wants to play the Mets. We did, by the way. That. We we rose our that. hand. <laughs> we yeah. said we want to play the Mets. Exactly. Exactly, we did. Because so it, it's about hitting. They didn't hit. I mean, that's it. 
how do you get hot in October? I, I've tried to figure this out because that is one thing Andrew Friedman is right about. The hottest team going into the playoffs, the hottest team in the playoffs is going to win. Well, how do you do that? Yeah. What switch do you flip? Because I, when you really look at it, and this is why the two teams that are playing right now are playing. The Padres beat the Dodgers, not because they were the hotter team, but because Dodgers didn't hit. Because the Dodgers, it wasn't like the, the Padres were scoring 10 runs a game right. and knocking the covers off. They were going crazy, like the Phillies had been doing all, all playoffs. Now, the Phillies have been, they just up and down that lineup. Everybody, you know, they got timely hits by everybody in that lineup. I know we focused on Bryce Harper and his big hits, and he's been phenomenal. And by the way, uh, Bryce Harper, that's your superstar. Absolutely. That's the guy that comes up with the big play. That, absolutely. That, with all due respect, is Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts yep. needed to be Bryce Harper. Yes. You got the money. Yeah. You got the long-term deal. It's your ball club. Yeah. When we need it, in that moment, that's yep. why you're there and he delivered. Yep. Mookie Betts 100%. didn't hit like Bryce Harper. Neither did Aaron Judge. and Neither, neither did, did Aaron Judge. You know, so when your stars and big games, that's why I put it on the players, and big moments, your stars got to come through because those moments are going to come for your star. This is why we got you here. This is why we got you here for this moment. And that's what it comes down to. Nothing else. And Bryce Harper has been delivering. But the Phillies are the hottest team. The Astros are hot on the other side. The Astros are good and hot. This is a deadly combination. Unfortunately, they are. But the Phillies are the hot team. San Diego was not the hot team. San Diego beat the Dodgers. They beat the Dodgers, a cold Dodger, a bad Dodger performance. But they weren't like the hottest team out there. Oh, my God, they're running through the Dodgers because they're on a roll. No. Manny didn't light it up. Soto didn't light it up. The Phillies, as a team, were the hotter team. And that's why they're in the World Series. Let me ask you this, because you brought up Aaron Judge, and I've been thinking about it, and he is a free agent, and a report yesterday from Bleacher Report, well, the Dodgers might let Trey Turner go and pursue Aaron Judge. I know Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs. That's great. But we also know he didn't hit his hat size in the playoffs. If you can't hit in the playoffs... Is he a good addition? The Dodgers can win 106, 111 games. They can do that. We know that. The Dodgers can win the division. We got that too. We've got that all worked out. That's not a problem. Who can hit in the playoffs? Who's the hitter that can hit in the playoffs? Or is it who just gets hot in the playoffs? Who was it against the Red Sox, Steve Pierce? What is his yeah. name? He went yeah. crazy, yeah. Oh, he went crazy. That's it. Yeah. Right. Or uh, who was the guy, Rosario, last year that killed the Dodgers for Atlanta? Yeah, Rosario. Yeah. Yep, he went crazy. Austin That's it. Riley did, too. Um, Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson. For the Dodgers and for the Atlanta. Bra- yeah. For the Braves, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, here, but here's where I'll defend, I'll defend Aaron Judge to this, to this extent. The Yankees would not be there. Had it not been for Aaron Judge. That's fair. He carried that team when everybody collapsed on the Yankees. And they were in a free fall. It was, he was the only one that stayed consistent all season long. I mean, he had to to hit 62. But he was the only. He put that team on his back 
the entire season. And so, I, I yes, he's got to perform, and the Stars got to perform in the playoffs. But, man, somebody else got to come through a little bit for that Yankee team. That lineup that they got, and Rizzo played okay, but that, that the rest of that lineup, they relied on Aaron Judge to get him there, and he got him there. And I know everybody comes down on him. Well, he didn't carry it through the playoffs. Well, there's more to it than that. They can, they can neutralize one player in the playoffs. But the guy in front of Aaron Judge and the guy behind Aaron Judge, they need to be monsters. They need to be bad boys that can hit. So there is fear. Oh, we can't walk Aaron Judge. Or we can't play it safe with Aaron Judge because Stanton's behind him, because so-and-so was behind him. And, and they had that, but the guys did not perform like you need those guys to perform around a, a superstar hitter. Like the Dodgers. Yeah. Same exact thing. Freddie Freeman yeah. hit. Yeah. Freddie and Freeman Mookie hit. Trey didn't. Trey Turner, yeah, yeah. a couple games. And Mookie didn't. Yeah. Will Smith struggled. Yeah. And there you go. There you go. Yeah. I mean, and, what we say all, all season long about the Dodgers? Man, Dodgers are beating you with their six, seven, eight, ninth hitters are, we'll, are we'll killing you. That. They, they didn't show up at all. No, 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 no. Not one bit. Uh, in in the report, they talked about the possibility of Aaron Judge. So if you get Aaron Judge, what are you going to do? And you lose Trey Turner. Move Mookie to second base. And Gavin Lux would be the shortstop. What do you think of yes. that? Yes, that could work. That could work. Or or you, you keep them in the outfield and keep... Uh... Move just Chris Taylor as your regular short second baseman. He's got to bounce back. I think he will. Yeah, I think he will too. And you got between him and and then your third baseman is who? Muncie. Yep. Edwin Reels coming back. Don't know. Yeah, I so think. your second baseman is Muncie, or your second baseman is Chris Taylor, and Gavin Lux becomes your everyday shortstop. Right. Right, and then you got to make a move uh, or a decision on Justin Turner as well. Yep. All right. Okay, well, we've tried to sort that out for you. <laughs> Don't forget, we're giving away UCLA-Stanford tickets, and uh, two pairs. We'll do that between now and 2 o'clock. Coming up next hour, we will have the Rams boss, Kevin Demoff, on the show. How close were they in that Christian McCaffrey deal? We'll ask him. George bakes it into the foul. The L.A. Clippers are in Oklahoma to take on the Thunder in a back-to-back set. They couldn't be worse, even if they were tanking. Clippers Countdown kicks off tonight at 4 p.m. There is no team deeper than the Clippers. On L.A.'s home for Clippers basketball. AM 570 L.A. Sports. And now another Rogan and Rodney. Oh, yeah! Afternoon Delight. Today's afternoon delight is Liquor by Babyface. This is one of 13 tracks that appears on the R&B Legends new album entitled Girls Night Out, which dropped last week. The album features appearances from female artists like LMA, Tink, Kehlani, and more. This track features R&B singer Ari Lennox. In an Instagram post, he wrote, so excited to finally release this labor of love. I've had the pleasure of working with so many talented R&B queens. Again, today's afternoon delight is Liquor by Babyface featuring Ari Lennox. 
And now, from the court to the courtroom with Jacob Emrani. All right, here comes our weekly chat with our good friend Jacob Emrani. Jacob, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Fred, and good afternoon, Rodney. How are you guys doing? We are good. We are good on a beautiful Tuesday. Jacob, that is beautiful. Jacob is a partner of the Lakers, so someone who has a little bit of insight and a little bit of information. They're 0-3. They should have beat Portland. They're going to Denver. It'll take an act of God for them to beat the Nuggets tomorrow night. Uh, and the Russell Westbrook situation. It's only three games, but is this getting to uh, a panic time? You know, I think one of the things that I see is the fact that I'm very excited after three games about how Darvin Ham has put together great defense for us. We're second in the league. It's our defense that's keeping us in the games, but I am very disappointed at the fact that when he came in initially, he said he's not going to care about anybody's feelings and he's going to do what's right for the team. And I really don't think he's done that in the first three games. I think he's basically buying into exactly what people were accusing Vogel of last year, trying to keep Russ happy. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons we're 0-3. I mean, if you would have not brought him in at the end of the Portland game, there's a higher likelihood that, you know, that would have been our first win. So in the big picture, you know, is there panic? Of course, we're 0-3. Who wants to be 0-3? Long season, but, you know, you see 0-3 turning into, you know, 1-5 and and then 2-8, and and then it's kind of out of, out of your control. So, you, you know, we, we got to start making some decisions that's better for the team rather than making, you know, Westbrook or other players who, you know, who are not happy about coming off the bench or, want more playing time it's not working yeah yeah and and you think about it really if they just make a, a few shots they just make a few shots they're definitely one and one and two and possibly could be uh two and two and one if they make some shots it, it really is what they're they're it's impressive what they're doing on the defense man it, it really is but they, they just can't make any shots and that being said um we we kicked around jacob that you know Darvin Ham is coming in. He did say, I'm not going to worry about anybody's feelings. But after this Portland game and the, the way Russ took the shot with 18 seconds left on the shot clock and 30 seconds left in the game, up by one, um, it kind of gives him more ammunition to not play Russ at the end of the game. Do you see a scenario where it gets so bad that they ask Russ not to even come to the games? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can tell you that right before the season started, I was talking to a lot of the people who, you know, are around the team. And I, you know, was hoping that there was going to be a trade. And a lot of them, as the time went by, continued to say they don't see a trade happening. But they do see that potentially, you know, they give him about 10 games and see if, you know, he's going to follow what the coaches want. At that time, they were talking potentially bringing him off the bench. And if he acts up, they have no problems doing the John Wall on him. Send him, you know, send him home. Now, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, as much as we know that he is not the right fit for the Lakers, he can produce for a team. The question here becomes is, are you going to send him home and wait until a team comes around and says, yes, we're willing to make the trade, or are you going to be able to find somebody to do that now? I've said, and we've all talked about this in private, I've said always that I'm hoping that the Lakers are not going to make a one-year problem into a multi-year problem by jumping at a bad trade. And right. I'm still concerned about that because, you know, we have two picks 
that are the only assets we have, the 2027 and the 2029. If we're going to give those up in order to bring some players over that are not going to guarantee us winning a championship, then we're putting ourselves in a bad situation, in my opinion. And I just hope, and I think that's what the Lakers are trying to keep themselves from doing. I think what they are doing is trying to not give up the, both picks. And if they do, they want it to be protected, lottery be protected. And they're trying to do the best. But, you know, obviously 0-3 is putting a lot of pressure on them. The outside media is killing them. And, you know, that puts pressure on, you know, on Polenka to have to make a move. You know, the thing I worry about, and I get the draft picks, you know, 2027, 2029. It's like 300 years from now. But the thing that, that I worry about is in making a bad deal, okay, good, we moved Russ. Now we just brought this guy back who's got three years at X number of dollars. And along with him, this guy that's got another three years at X number of dollars. You're really in the same position. You might get a little better, but now you're stuck with those guys. Guys I, that you I agree, want. Right. You know? I agree 100%. That's exactly what I'm concerned about because unless you're guaranteed that you're bringing somebody over that's going to help you win championships, all you're taking on, because right now, if they don't do anything with Russ and let his contract just play out, I think they're going to have about $30 million in cap space next year. If you go ahead and bring you know, players that have two- and three-year contracts in return for Russ, then you're basically you know, uh, handicapping yourself for the next few years to even bring anybody else that you may need. Exactly. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. But, you know, ultimately you have to, I mean, I, it's just, I'm, I'm blown away how the Lakers cannot find one or two shooters. I mean, maybe you need to go sit inside the G League games or something and just find somebody who could shoot, you know, better than one out of 15 or I don't know what we are now, 18 out of 100 and something. I think we're setting a record of, you know, less than 8% shooting from three. I mean, that, that right there, if you really think about it, guys, if we only made one or two more three-pointers in any yes. of those games, we had a chance to win two out of three. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, hey, Jacob, I, you know, I, I follow you. I, I see you. We talk from time to time, and, and uh, you're, you're a great friend, man. And I saw you post something about that horrific accident in Porter Ranch um, that happened over the weekend that took the life of a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. Jacob, from your standpoint, man, how do we, how do we eliminate and I guess speed was a factor and street racing, which is huge. I know some other friends that lost their kids to it. How do we get this under control? Because it's becoming a, a, a epidemic that's out there with the kids racing and speeding. And, and then every weekend it feels like you're hearing about another accident. I mean, number one, I think harsher penalties. I mean, I think we just as a community have gone to a position that people are not held accountable. You know, we have, you know, the laws are not, that's harsh. The district attorney is not filing claims. I have, Rodney, I have so many cases in my office where somebody has passed away because somebody was a drunk driver or somebody was doing something illegally and we're two years in and we're almost finished with our portion of the case and the district attorney is not, has not even filed charges. So basically people are out there being negligent, being in my opinion, sometimes not even negligent, just being completely, completely oblivious and killing other people and majorly injuring them. And the penalties are not there. So that's number one. Number two, we, we realize the street racing thing is just growing and growing in a lot of neighborhoods. I a mean, lot, and you by know, the way, have, Jacob, a lot of it yeah. out there. 
yeah. lot of it yeah. on Rinaldi and Cessna and Porter Ranch area. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I, I remember I had a conversation with a uh, with a cop friend of mine, and he told me, you know, around where we live, he sits at a corner certain days to give tickets for speeding. And I said, why are you here? He said, because we get sponsorships. Money comes in from, you know, certain, um, you know, organizations that say, hey, we're going to pay you this much money, put 10 of your, you know, police officers on this corner to catch speeding. When we're realizing that in these areas, so many people are getting injured and hurt, we have to be able to put more officers in order to watch those areas. I understand it's a big area. I understand it's tough to catch, but we have to take everything because innocent people are getting injured. Innocent people are getting killed. And you know what's even worse? California law has people driving around with $15,000 policies. If I tell you in the past 10 years, I probably had over 50 or 60 death cases where the person who killed them only had a $15,000 policy and their family are going to, you know, are missing somebody, a breadwinner, somebody who took care of them. And there's not even enough insurance to take care of these poor people. I can go on for hours. And unfortunately I see it every single day. Uh, Jacob, our uh, listeners love when you offer some advice. And I think that was pretty powerful advice. Let me just ask you this real quick. Holidays are around the corner. We've got Halloween, people walking around, then people will be hosting for Thanksgiving and Christmas. What happens if somebody has an accident at your home or your apartment? Are you liable? Yeah, so home is a little different because most people who own their home, they have homeowner's insurance. And homeowner's insurance is really important that everybody checks their policies and makes sure that you have homeowner's insurance. Even if you're leasing you can buy renter's insurance in order to be able to have some level of a protection. But if somebody comes into you know, your house, Fred, and the floor seems to be wet or a missing tile or something, and they end up falling and hurting themselves, they have every right to file a claim against the homeowner. What we want to make sure is that the homeowner or the renters have insurance to protect themselves and protect the people that are coming in. Because we do a lot of what we call premises liability, which means slip and falls and trip and falls in you know, people's homes or in buildings and grocery stores. And very often it's insurance that actually you know, saves the person and protects them, but also there's money there in order to take care of the injured party so they can go see doctors and be made whole. And there's a lot more of those cases than you can imagine. We've been doing them for 26 years. But I just want our listeners to know that this conversation is not only about the people who are injured, but it's also for the people who are listening that want to protect themselves. Make sure that if you're a renter, you buy rental uh, insurance in order to protect somebody from getting injured at your place. And obviously, if you're a homeowner, you should have homeowner's insurance that protects you and the person who may get injured in your place. Jacob, great stuff as always. Appreciate the time and appreciate the chat. Thanks, guys. Great talking to you. All right, we still have to give away uh, UCLA-Stanford tickets. Two pairs coming up at the next hour. Also, start preparing your haiku because we're going to need that pretty soon, too. Right after the top of the hour, we need a listener haiku to pay tribute to Vic. So we'll open the phone lines for that as we continue. AM 570 KLAC, 98.7 KYSR, HD2. Los Angeles. Available anywhere using the iHeartRadio app. 